You're listening to the Doheny Podcast Network. The Doheny Eye Institute, working for all to see. Your host is Jody Becker. My guest is Dr. Hugo Sue. He is a cornea specialist, but likes to think of himself as a cornea generalist, really. That's because his clinical practice includes everything from treating dry eye and infections to performing very delicate surgeries within the cornea and cornea transplantation. Dr. Sue is a graduate of Harvard and UCLA Medical School and was a resident at USC Doheny. He's embarking on some very interesting research, and we'll talk about that. Thanks so much for joining me. You're more than welcome. Good morning. Good morning. First, if you could explain your approach and orientation to your work as a self-proclaimed jack-of-all-trades when it comes to cornea treatment. So I self-specialized in the fellowship in cornea, but uh, over the years, I manage anything that falls within the category of cornea. And as you indicated, it can run the gamut from more harmless, benign things, such as dry eye or blepharitis, inflammation of the eyelids, all the way to the more extreme and nuanced situations, such as uh, reconstruction of the cornea, reconstruction of the ocular surface, uh, treating uh, rare, rare diseases involving cornea. And over the years, I have just taken care of all comers and all patients with cornea-related diseases and have not found myself gravitating towards or uh, drilling down and become a sub-subspecialist in one particular disease or one particular surgery. Can you talk and a little uh, bit then in a general sense about how some of the treatments and even the diagnoses are evolving from this broader perspective of cornea treatment? Ophthalmology in general is moving very, has been moving very quickly and changing rapidly in the last 20 years or so. In the cornea world, the thing that has changed most dramatically is how we approach cornea transplantation surgery. Cornea transplantation surgery is uh, an organ transplant analogous to liver or kidney, but it has the best outcome and least uh, rates of rejection. So patients actually derive uh, significant benefit from cornea transplantation. And we've been doing so since probably the 1970s, and it really started ratcheting up. It become a more of a uh, mainstream surgery, if you will, starting in the 1980s and early 1990s. What's happened since the 2000s is that whereas previously everything was one size fit all, you have a cornea problem regardless of what it was, we just cut a hole in the eye and took the cornea off and put another donor cornea in and stitched it in place and we're done. But in the last 15 years or so, we have become more nuanced, as I indicated, by recognizing that there are different diseases that affect different components of the cornea. And we, are, we have evolved surgical techniques to tackle and transplanting and replacing or removing selective portions of the cornea rather than the entire thing each time. And it has uh, really revolutionized the surgical field of cornea. And the benefit is that the surgeries are safer to do for the patient. There's less risk of dramatic operative complications. The visual rehabilitation post-surgery is much more rapid, and patients are seeing better faster. Is it partly the imagery? Is it the instrumentation? What is making those very fine, delicate surgeries more possible? The vast majority of people requiring cornea transplant is due to the fact that the endothelial lining, the inner lining of the cornea, 
and the cells that's part of that lining have uh, suffered uh, excessive damage from either too many prior surgeries, such as a uh, cataract surgery, such as glaucoma surgery, or the patient has a native uh, disease where over time the cells in the inner lining die off. And as a result, the cornea becomes hazy, becomes swollen, and people cannot see clearly through it. And these, this set of disease is the, uh, the, um, the most common reason patients undergo and require cornea transplantation. And whereas knowing that that single layer of cells on the inside of cornea is the source of the problem, uh, we used to take the entire cornea off. Now we have come up with techniques to where all we need to do is uh, strip out the inner lining that's no longer working, acquire a similarly thin layer of tissue from the donor, and then place that in the eye. Uh, and we can do this through a much smaller incision. And um, the evolution has come about through uh, due to innovation of a couple of key ophthalmologists over the last 15, 20 years. And they're constantly pushing the boundary and teaching the rest of us to go thinner and thinner and thinner to replace uh, less and less and less tissue. And, you know, to do to clear the cornea up just as effectively as if you took the whole thing off and put the whole thing back on kind of a deal. And so that's the biggest change that's happened in cornea. Uh, elsewhere in cornea, there's now a renaissance of uh, focus on the ocular surface, which encompasses the cornea, the conjunctiva, the eyelids, with the marquee disease and condition being that of, quote, dry eye. Uh, the dry eye it could be from a multitude of different things. And we are evolving to better understand all the various components of dry eye and starting to have more diagnostic tools at our disposal to understand the subtleties and nuance of all the various subtypes of dry eye and to be more keyed in then to know how best to treat dry eye and to recognize uh, problems. And it's not just, oh, you have dry eye, use artificial tears, I'll see you in three months. Uh, we know that there's inflammation going on. We know the involvement of the eyelids, and we can now more specifically target and treat the subcomponents that feed into and create the dry eye state. I'd also like to ask mm -hmm. you about another evolving therapy having to do with cell cultures. Cell culture has always been something as uh, the holy grail, if you will, because if the cells are the part as the problem, how can we just simply replace the cells? So there is work done, chiefly I'm aware of in Japan, where investigators are removing whatever cells that they can find, either from the patient or from donors, and then expanding the cells outside of the body in a laboratory. And once the cells expand to a certain population, then to put these cells back into the eye and then to try to trick the cells to attach to the inner lining of the cornea to repopulate the depleted areas. Uh, so that way, you have a new collection of cells on the inner lining of the cornea that can go to work, just as if you surgically transplanted them by taking it from the donor and putting it in the eye. It can be less invasive and just take some cells, and especially if your own cells, and expand them in culture in the laboratory and then put them back in your own eye. And that's the cell, cell approach therapy. And we're hoping, probably I hope, within my career, that it becomes a reality and a good way of treating this uh, category of diseases. Is any of that work happening in U.S. hospitals or U.S. research facilities now? I'm sure there may be some. Uh, I'm just not as familiar, or they have yet to publish as many studies. And uh, yeah. the, so the spotlight hasn't uh, come on them as much. 
but uh but yes uh, i would imagine that not just in japan but elsewhere uh, certainly in the united states people are working on uh, doing that kind of work and you are at the beginning of a very intriguing research project can you explain your microbiome approach to questions of the cornea I stumbled upon this field, and it's a burgeoning field in other areas of medicine and biomedical research. And uh, what it is, is it's a different way of thinking about our relationship with microbes, uh, bacteria, fungi, that lives on us and that live in us. You know, for a long, long time, we always have seen them as enemies. You have bacteria, you get antibiotics, and if the antibiotics are not working, you get more potent antibiotics, all in the order of eliminating bacteria. But coming to understand and appreciate that native bacteria that live on us live with us in peace and symbiosis, and we derive benefit from this relationship. And antibiotics would just simply destroy bacteria, and with discovering that by doing so, it will lead to disease. So in this field, uh, investigators in other areas are looking into how the microbiota is called, and that it's genetic material that is what they study to see who is there and what is there. The microbiome uh, is to try to get a sense of what is colonizing us. And is the colonization, say, of our gut different if we have this diet versus that diet, if we grew up in Africa versus in Europe? And does it have any bearing on disease, such as obesity, such as chronic gastrointestinal disease? And my interest came because in reading about these fascinating works, and then realizing that nothing really is being done in the ophthalmology relating to this field. And ophthalmology, uh, the aquasurface stuff that I spoke of, the aquasurface likewise is a niche environment, just like the inside of your mouth might be, just like the back of your arm might be, or just like your intestinal lining might be. And we don't really have a good understanding compared to other fields of what exactly, who, and what kind of bacteria lives on the surface of our eye. What are they doing there? How do they relate to our surface of our eyes and health and disease? And the interesting thing is that many of the work in, say, the gastrointestinal field involve diseases that are chronic in nature, that are chronic and inflammatory in nature, and they are starting to come up with ways, at least in the laboratory, of manipulating that to try to address some of the problems. Well, with what I see, dry eye I mentioned already, it is a uh, ocular surface disease. It's a very chronic disease. It has a lot of things that causes the problem, and it's a uh, chronic inflammatory disease. So the thought occurred to me is, well, why not explore? See whether evaluating the microbiota and the microbiome in a way that others are doing and elsewhere in the body may be a way to better aid us in understanding what's going on on the actual surface. And if something comes of it, perhaps just like in other fields, we may manipulate that somehow to improve the health of the actual surface. So as you so, launch that kind of work, what are the first questions that you want to explore? First would be to establish, to understand what is normal, what is abnormal on the surface of the eye. Uh, the bacteria that live on the surface of the eye you think is very different than the populations that live, say, on the back of your elbow or that lives in your gut or that lives inside your mouth. So I think first we need to know and establish what is the normal spectrum of organisms that live on the surface of our body in healthy states, and then to compare that to what the population looks like that lives of bacteria that lives on the surface of our eyes in 
disease states. And then we can figure out, well, how do we get from a healthy state, point A, to an unhealthy state, point B. And I'm guessing that will be collaborative work. What kind of a team would you need to put together for these investigations? So this technology and technique requires a lot of expertise, more so than what I can bring myself as a clinician. It requires a geneticist. It requires basic researchers who are very adept at uh, mining and uh, identifying the DNA sequences, the RNA sequences of the bacteria. And it generates tons and tons of data that has to be then compared to a library of uh, bacteria uh, genetic sequences. And that requires uh, bioinformatics, statistical analyses. So I've been trying now, uh, first uh, previously at USC and now at UCLA, to put together a team uh, reaching out to uh, potential collaborators who may be able to assist in those other areas. It's been a very slow process, and I've gotten to a point now where I have some collaborators identified. They understood, they understand what I would like to do, and they're on board. So I'm at the cusp of starting to sample and basically take a gentle swab from the surface of the eye, such as what you would do to try to identify uh, the cause of a conjunctivitis or pink eye situation, and then sending that material to them for them to run the DNA RNA analysis to identify the bacteria that may live on the individual's uh, the surface of that individual's eye. Thank you so much for sharing all of this early stage insight with us. We'll have to circle back. Dr. Hugo oh, Sue, yeah. <laughs> thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. The Doheny Eye Institute, at the forefront in eradicating eye disease for nearly 70 years, is dedicated to providing state-of-the-art clinical services and supporting leading researchers in the quest for treatments that stabilize and improve the precious sense of sight. Doheny is now affiliated with UCLA Stein Eye Institute. For more information about our doctors and their innovative work in the quest for better vision, visit our website, doheny.org.